Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio. By the way, Conrad Black is celebrating. You know, he got a full presidential pardon for the crimes that were, uh, I, well, he committed, I guess. They found him guilty. He served three years, two weeks in a federal penitentiary down there in Florida. But nonetheless, earlier today on the program, uh, he was expressing his total disgust with the American judicial process and, uh, you know, how it's very litigious. And once they get you in their crosshairs, uh, they ain't letting go. And they really shake you down because uh, it's almost a pyramid of extortion in a way. They uh, One domino falls into another, into another, and they hold, you know, family and friends and basically say, you know, they shake you down for information and <laughs> really wield that cudgel. Uh, so he claims. How's our system when it comes to those kinds of matters? I wanted to find out, and uh, that, amongst other things, dealing with legalities, we defer to the Global News Radio's legal expert, Joseph Newberger, who has joined us here on The Oakley Show, just ahead of our panel. Hello, Joseph. Hey, John. How are you? Very good. You know, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, I don't mean to blindside you but uh, or put you in an awkward position, but, boy, Conrad was rather uh, unflattering about the American process. Yeah. Uh, does ours work in a similar fashion, or do you think that no. for some reason, you know, go ahead, tell me no. why. No, no, no. We are so much better. And, and Canadians really should consider our system to be a real beacon of an appropriate judicial system and criminal justice system, because the United States, in many instances, railroads individuals uh, into trials or guilty pleas and have incredible uh, high incarceration rates. It's it's not anywhere close to our system. It's far better. And I know some listeners might go, we want to see criminals in jail forever for everything. But unless you're caught in that system like Conrad Black was, you don't have a true appreciation as to how horrible it is in comparison to ours. And, and just to give you an example, I've had a couple of cases in the U.S. that I've been involved in, and they're rules with respect to disclosing the case are much diff- different than ours. In fact, it can be quite short in time, 30 to 60 or 90 days before trial, you get statements. You don't even get proper statements under oath. And and judges give very short charges to juries. And the, and the penalties that are heaped on individuals for certain offenses are so crushing that people who are not even remotely guilty may still be pressured to resolve it because if they're convicted, they could be in jail for uh, you know, 60, 80, or 100 years. So we're very lucky to be in Canada and have the system we do in place. All right. When you mentioned railroaded, uh, then how would that typically play out? I mean, I sort of mentioned it in uh, passing how Conrad perceived it. You know, this is the shakedown that happens, and they lean on family and friends and whomever associates until you come up with something. And uh, I think it was Dershowitz who said, uh, some people don't just sing, they compose. <laughs> yeah, well... That's an interesting comment. But, you know, the reality is the way certain cases are played out, certainly high-profile cases in the United States, you can see that in various jurisdictions, the case, once it goes to the hands of the prosecutor, which may be during the course of the investigation, things are played out in the media. And then that paints a potential jury pool. And um, and the presumption of guilt is, is almost palpable in many of these cases. And, in fact, I think Conrad Black was going down to the United States 
in a very awkward situation simply because of his high-profile nature and the way this was playing out in the media as well. So it was it was extremely challenging for him. But I, the system really is very problematic in the United States. And the high rates of incarceration, and there's also high rates of wrongful convictions that we've seen where DNA have exonerated people, that that speaks volumes about the system that it is. You know, it's interesting because, uh, just a quick aside, this new uh, abortion ban law in Alabama says any doctor complicit in an abortion would be facing 99 years. And uh, you've even got people like Pat Robertson, who's a noted uh, social conservative, saying, my God, this is going way too far. This is judicial overreach. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. I mean, you, you can't do that. I mean, aside from the legitimacy of, of or illegitimacy of that type of law, the, the the notion that somebody could go to jail for that for that period of time, it's insane. Just insane. Again, with Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert, let me ask you about, uh, you know, when you've got somebody facing trial or being incarcerated uh, for crimes, you know, whether they committed them or not, but uh, they're being ginned up in China. We've got our two nationals now. They've been charged earlier today. Typically, how do you defend somebody like that in that system? I don't know how. I mean, that this is, again, an example where I think we're lacking some very strong leadership that we need from the highest part of our government, because these individuals are charged on offenses that have very vague descriptions. I'm sure they have no access or very little access to the alleged evidence against them. And there is going to be absolutely, in my opinion, no presumption of innocence in that case or proof beyond a reasonable doubt. This is a political move, in my opinion, on China's part. Uh, for a tit-for-tat as a result of what's going on here with the Huawei case, and we're just fulfilling our international obligations. So it's very frightening, I think, for these uh, poor Canadians uh, who are in China and facing these charges, but I think it's a very stark reminder of what happens in other jurisdictions. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And their abuse of the rule of law. Right. It's a kangaroo court. I think we can all agree on that. Let me ask you about another development, talking to another lawyer uh, while you were in court or otherwise duty-bound. It has to do with a class action lawsuit being filed against some of the major pharmaceutical companies. has to do with the opioid crisis and uh, how how these companies may have been complicit in it. Uh, Filed here in Ontario Superior Court seeking $1.1 billion in various damages. People like Apotex, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Johnson & Johnson, and the Jean Coutu Group out of Quebec being cited for now, and there may be others added to that list, but typically when it comes to this kind of a class action suit, how do you prove the damage? How do you quantify it at $1.1 billion? And how do you how do you base your case? I mean, to uh, give it some kind of legitimacy, I guess proof is the word. Uh, how do you go about that? Well, I think the first challenge is to establish their liability, that in other words, they are complicit in uh, some sort of uh, pushing 
or campaign to have individuals prescribed opiate-based medications for all host of pains which could be treated otherwise. So you're going to have to prove a liability and a complicity in some sort of conspiracy. Now, one way to do that is, of course, you're going to have the plaintiffs who will testify about various ailments, having gone to specialists who are pain doctors and being prescribed this medication, and not, there are not being any attempts to put them on other medications. They're not as addictive. And I think that's actually not that hard because it's, it's very well known now that over the last two decades, if not a little longer, opiate medication was prescribed like candy. So if somebody had bad back pain, had joint pain, fibromyalgia, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, if the Tylenol wasn't working or the Advil wasn't working, then you go immediately to an opiate-based medication, and it's highly addictive. And within a very short period of time, the person is addicted, and they need to keep increasing doses in order to have the dosage has to be titrated up in order to have the same effect on the pain, but also to prevent withdrawal. And this is a very, very challenging situation for a patient because they're not able to pull themselves off of it. They think the doctor is doing the right thing. So I think this can be first proven uh, by um, the plaintiffs themselves getting the charts from the doctors through the discovery process to see how they went about it and what they went about. And then also, there we know there's relationships between pharmaceutical companies and doctors because they throw these giant conferences invite the doctors, comp them with all sorts of things, and push their medications. And that's just part of the business. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of work for the plaintiff's counsel, but I'm sure they're very adept at this. And uh, through the discovery process of examining people and having witnesses present and documentary discovery, slowly I think they're going to build a very compelling case. And I think the pressure is going to be on the pharmaceutical companies because we know how powerful they are, how financially powerful they are, and they have a lot of risk here, in my opinion, because this is an epidemic which has been coming down the pipe for a long time and has done incredible damage. Yeah, and uh, the lawyer I cited, he says, uh, you know, in some cases, the defense is to rag the puck for as long as you can and hope that the plaintiffs uh, basically abandon the case. Right. That, and that's true, because, again, the power of these companies, because of the sheer volume of cash that they have, they can hire very sophisticated, very experienced counsel and can drag a file out for a long period of time and motion plaintiffs to death for all sorts of things. And typically in these cases, if there's no funding coming from the plaintiffs, so if, they're, if the law firm who's doing the uh, action on behalf of the uh, plaintiffs is really doing this on some sort of contingency basis, it may become financially you know, incredibly disruptive for them to try and pursue it. So it's going to be a real battle. We'll see what happens. All right. And finally, I've got to ask you an update on a file we've discussed fairly recently about the, the case surrounding Joshua Boyle and Caitlin Coleman. couple married, went to Afghanistan, kidnapped by the Taliban, and uh, we all know the details behind that. He came home, uh, had a sit-down with Justin Trudeau, and uh, which was kind of peculiar. But nonetheless, she then claimed shortly thereafter uh, sexual assault, 19 cases of it, or charges uh, anyway, on... Uh, a development recently where uh, she was being cross-examined, I guess she had her own lawyer representing her there, uh, and so this was kind of interesting because the prosecutor uh, is supposed to represent on the interests of the complainant, but she has a lawyer there as well. And the sexual history uh, that was brought into the equation, the rape shield law, I guess is what we call it, uh, the Ontario Criminal Lawyers Association is seeking intervener status in this one to, uh, I guess, challenge that uh, particular area of the law. And I'm not clear on it, so bring me up to date. All right. I'll explain it. So you and I spoke about this for some time, and I've been actually writing on this. It's very 
challenging this new piece of legislation, and it's extremely problematic. So the uh, liberal government, the Trudeau government, hated the Gian Gomeshi verdict, and they didn't like uh, some of the advocacy groups coming out so strong. Maybe this was bad publicity for them. So they came up with new drafted legislation of the old 276, which was the rape shield provision. And that was to protect women from being cross-examined on irrelevant facts, sexual history that's not relevant, and all sorts of other things. And I And that's absolutely fine, and, and we agree with that, and nobody should be subjected to that type of uh, insensitive and inappropriate cross-examination. However, is any application to cross-examine a complainant on any prior sexual conduct or communications between the parties related to sexual conduct now must be vetted on this application before a judge, and this particular case deals with prior sexual history as them being a couple that's relevant to the defense, and the judge on that application ruled that it was admissible and the defense could cross-examine on it. At this hearing now, the new legislation allows the complainant to be a party and to have their own counsel. This is unprecedented. Yes, we it exists in one other area, but not in this type of area. And so the complainant had her own lawyer who could make submissions on the motion. The judge granted the motion and went about to be uh, cross-examined. The lawyer for the complainant then brought an application called a certiorari. Let's just call it an appeal to have the judge's decision quashed, or in other words, say that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. This is unprecedented in criminal law because you're not allowed to do appeals midway through a trial. So it stopped the criminal trial. And now the Criminal Lawyers Association wants to intervene, LEAF is intervening, and the argument is that no such questioning of prior sexual history should ever be allowed, and they reduce the, the logic down to the fact that the complainant is less credible because she may be confusing with prior sexual conduct, and that is absurd. And, uh, and the, a trial like this should not be hijacked by counsel for a complainant. And this has far-reaching implications because if the court actually hears this appeal and rules on it, any other sexual assault case going forward in the future where this application is going to be made, there could be interlocutory appeals left, right, and center, rendering these cases impossible to be completed within timelines. Yeah, they become a dog's breakfast. I don't know if that's a legal term, but... Uh... I like that term. You're <laughs> oh. absolutely right, John. You hit it on the nose again. All right, well, spoken like a true criminal defense lawyer. Joseph, uh, <laughs> thanks for explaining all. I appreciate your time as always. Well, thank you for having me on. Have a great show, John. Take thank care. You. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio legal expert with Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.